Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network. Heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Your source for college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide. Hi, everybody. AJ Hodel, CEO and founder of the Athletic Scholarship Corporation, found on the web at www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com and collegeshowcases.com. Today, I have a real different segment. Um, social media, you know, everybody's connecting, and there's a lot of noise and rhetoric, and I have a you know, pretty good base of, of followers, and, and I'm always thankful for that. And um, gentlemen and I just got connected, it seems about last week or so, Daryl Rogers. He's an author of a book, A Life Half Lived. It's a true story of love, addiction, tragedy, and hope. He actually has a free version on Kindle and then the paperback version, which I'm ordering because I did my show research and we talked a little bit off record. And I don't want to say, obviously it's a tragedy when you lose your, your child, Daryl, but you've somehow turned this into a positive. Even Coach uh, Tommy and Bobby Bowden have commented on the book. So you've got athletes and it kind of crossovers to our market segment. but. I think this conversation we're about to have is relative to any parent, and you're an active parent. And and let's talk about what, you know, obviously the, the tragedy and the loss of your son was in, was it in 2014, am I correct? Yes. Okay. May the 29th of 2014. Um, so the story is um, that, you know, uh, Chase was a good kid growing up, and he was ADD. Um, so we had a few uh, issues with focus in the classroom, but uh, um, he was a really easygoing, quiet. Um, everybody loved Chase, mm-hmm. and a lot of friends. And um, you know, he was an Eagle Scout. Um, he started playing sports very early on, and uh, uh, football was really the the last sport that he played. And then at one big one point, it got to where his uh, brother, his younger brother, who's seven years younger, had started playing sports too, or wanted to play, and he wanted to play football. And um, we were just running all over town to all these sports practices. And, and we said, I asked Chase, I said, can we narrow this down to one sport? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, which sport would you pick? And he said, football. And I said, are you sure? Because, you know, you're kind of small, Chase, for a football player. And last year was your first season, you know, and you got yelled at a lot, you know, last year because you couldn't remember the plays, you know. And he said, no, nah, made up my mind. I want to play football. So uh, from that point on, it was it was all football. And he um, was really quick, you know, and agile and just uh, played with a passion. And every time he got out on the field, he, he would give you everything he had. And uh, that was part of what made him a good player, you know, um, it's just his love for the game. But, um, uh, you know, Chase, his senior year of high school, well, let me back up a second. Let me go back to his, um, it was really in his, um, the latter parts of his sophomore year, early on in his junior year, where he began having trouble in school. He had always been an average to a little above average student. Um, you know, he could have been a little better, but the ADD issues um, kind of plagued him a little bit. But, but um, you know, and he was more of a hands-on type learner. 
Right. Uh, and, and school just doesn't really accommodate that very well. No. <laughs> so uh, he, um, you know, he, he struggled with that. But but now all of a sudden, um, he was failing Spanish, and he was beginning to develop to develop an attitude and. Um, to just really, he was beginning to get a little bit disrespectful in the home, you know, to me and his mom, and just, uh, you know, was having some issues with uh, just being a little bit rebellious. And it wasn't anything, you know, really bad out of the ordinary, um, but I just saw some warning signs. Um, and, you know, it's pretty typical, I think, for most teenagers, especially teenage boys, to go through that phase. But I saw some other warning signs, and there were just too many little things that, that were just telling me that, you know, Chase needed help that was beyond what I could offer him. And uh, um, the, the, the ADHD issues um, were a big part of that, too. And so I felt like a military school would, would, would provide a good environment for him with the, with the discipline and with the uh, structured environment. I thought that would be good for him, and I suggested to him that we take a look at this military school that was up in Virginia that's not too far from us, a couple hours away. And uh, of course, he wasn't too excited about that, <laughs> about that idea. But, but it, you know, <clears throat> we went up there and we visited, and I never told him he had to go. But at some point, he just, you know, he said, "Okay, you know, let's do it then." And. Um, um, so I mean I don't know I, mean, I think from his perspective he probably would would have said that I made him go, um, but I mean I was willing to 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 talk about it a little more but uh, but anyhow um, so he went there um, while he was there he completed his Eagle Scout um, requirements and, and became an Eagle Scout um, and but it was in his his senior year there is where he had a really good season. Um, and he got the attention of a few college scouts, you know, smaller schools mostly, mm. um, Division three schools, some NAIA schools, and things of that nature. And so um, uh, <clears throat> he was interested in playing, you know, on the next level. And so we went and visited some schools, and um, we settled on one in Illinois. And uh, so Chase ended up um, transferring or uh, uh, accepting a uh, partial ride to this NAIA school in Illinois mm -hmm. and to, to play football there. And um, it really, uh, once he got there, I mean, it seems like almost immediately he began to get off track. And, and what I mean, they redshirted him his first year. Uh, he had too much free time, and he was experiencing freedom that he hadn't yeah. really experienced yeah. before, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, with it, this was an upstart program. It was their their first season to have a football team. And at the time, you know, with the NAIA, NAIA um, does not they leave it up to their individual schools. Yeah, there's no structure to, like NCAA. I mean, there's, right, there's as a far little as drug bit. testing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. So um, so at this point, um, this particular school had not um, instituted any kind of drug testing policy, at least for football players. 
I don't know about for the rest of the sports, but I'm, I'm guessing probably for all of their sports. But um, uh, at any rate, he was hanging out with friends who were yummy. There was there was a lot of drinking, a lot of a lot of um, drugs going on. It started off with smoke, you know, smoking marijuana, and 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 then but then it 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 went from there to um, experimenting with a, with a lot of other drugs. And I don't even know the full extent of the drugs. I know he used Molly a good bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I've heard a few things from some of his friends on some other drugs that he experimented with a little bit, but um, it, you know, marijuana was had become I think it, it was just an everyday, you know, multiple times a day thing, and then um, and the uh, Molly had become I think fairly regular too, and so um, his grades were really bad. He came home for the uh, Christmas break. And I talked to him then. I said, Chase, do you want to go back here on academic probation? I said, college is not for everybody. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can help you find something else to do. I'll help you. You know, maybe you can go to um, a technical college or something, and we'll find a trade or we'll find something you can do. And uh, he said, no, Dad, I want to go back. I want to go back. And so he, he, I let him go. He went back, and uh, uh, it was in the – very early on in the second semester, his grades were really bad, you know, uh, his behavior was bizarre and, and it got to the point where uh, they were ready to kick him out. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> there's a lot a lot more to that story, but I, just for sake of time, I won't go into all the details of that, but he, so he, he, he got basically kicked out of school. And um, uh, he came, he moved back home. And he immediately found a rough crowd to hang with here. And he would be gone for days at a time. Mm. And he wasn't working. And I said, Chase, I said, you, you know, you got to, we're going to have to do something about this. We can't, you can't, can't keep going down this path. You know, if, if you're going to go out, you'd have to tell us where you are, when you're going to be back. You can't just be gone for days, you know, like that. And, so, but he didn't listen to me. The, the behavior continued, and I didn't didn't want this to be. I did not want to be an enabler. And um, so I locked him out one day. I mean, he came home, and I wouldn't let him in. Mm-hmm. And he left. I found out later that he lived. The girl that he was seeing at the time, he lived in her mother's backyard in a tent. Oh my! For over a week. <laughs> so. Um, Anyhow, he it just um, he, I followed him on Facebook on social media after that, and I could see the people he was associating with, and I could see the you know his physical state. He was getting really pale. He was losing weight rapidly, and I, I even have a before and after picture. The before picture is taken. I use this a lot when I'm doing presentations. The, the before picture was taken when we dropped him off the summer uh, that he was, when we dropped him off at, at camp, at football camp, you know, getting ready to start up college. Mm-hmm. And the after picture was taken um, about a year later. And you just won't believe the contrast. Uh, he was never a big kid to begin with. You know, he was, uh, senior year of high school, he was five. 10, 145 pounds. 
Um, he gained a little bit of weight when we dropped him off for college camp. He was 155 pounds. I have no idea how much he weighed a year later, but it, he was scary thin. I mean, he looked he looked really bad, and so um, I got scared. Didn't know what to do, and this word intervention popped into my head. And I guess from having this, I'd never watched the show, but I know there was a like a reality show where they had done some interventions and all on television. It's a great show. And I had just, I've just skimmed through it a couple of times. I'd never watched more than a few minutes of it, but it uh, had planted that seed in my mind. And I said, you know, I, I had already made calls uh, to our insurance company, and they're like, well, if he, has he ever been in? Um, treatment before and I said no and they said, well we can't help you if he hasn't been in treatment before and I'm like well oh, wait that's kind of a catch 22 you know yeah man they want you uh, to hit they want you to hit rock bottom first before they shell out some money or getting legal problems so you're calling right. an outcry as a father and you know going back to your conversation I, I think would you agree that the red shirt and the distance of football may have played a role in just kind of how you drift because I I could tell you stories about when I left for college and the freedom I went across the country and there was so much freedom that it was it was absolutely it was crazy how to even stay structured now today's different than in the 90s um, I mean obviously it's tough love when you lock your kid out and people don't understand that today everybody's pretty soft and so you're a hands-on mm -hmm. dad and you're involved what's your best advice to parents about trying to to monitor and you're you're hands on you see it and you're calling that you're calling the insurance company trying to get help and you're not getting the help you need what's your advice to the parents to to keep an eye on their child on that there's a lot of parents that don't don't even know their kid and and, and they think it's not gonna happen to me and they go to college and they run into the wrong person wrong time and then, you know that's how you get introduced to this type of stuff so what's your kind of off the path for a second what's your advice to a parent going through this of you know maybe something mm. you could have done different. I don't think you could have done anything different. I didn't walk in your shoes, but in our conversation right now, you've been hands-on since you you know suggested the military school. I think football not being involved in the game ongoing and being redshirted definitely you know someone that's passionate about their sport. You know football saved my life. I can talk about that all day. But if someone took that away from me, I think I would have been on on the wrong path also for sure. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I think that may have played a role because he just had too much time on his hands. Yeah. yeah. But uh, um, I think that was just a small piece of the pie. Um, um, you know, there's a piece of this that's related to, and I think it's a big piece that's related to the ADHD or ADD. Um, and uh, we resisted in the beginning. You know, it was it was Chase's teachers who were. Uh, it started with this kindergarten teacher really pushing us to do something about Chase because uh, of his behavior in the classroom. And like I said, he was never a bad child. He just couldn't sit still. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, you know, I would do whatever you have to do. If, if, if a parent were to ask me, I would say do whatever you have to do not to put your child on any medications. That, if that means homeschooling your child, homeschool your child. Because, you know, we, we always kept the dosage. We, he was on Concerto. We always kept the dosage to a minimum. But when he, when he um, went off to college, he knew that that Concerta 
affected his appetite. And he was already thin. He wanted to gain weight mm -hmm. as a football player. So he took himself off of Concerta. And then he began to, uh, you know, I told his doctor, his doctor called me after, after he passed away, which, you know, we'll get to that with the rest of the story in a few minutes, but his doctor called me and we had the conversation on the phone and I told her that he had taken himself off and that then it was off of the meds, ADD meds, and it wasn't long after that before he was, um, you know, using drugs. Um, and and she said, yeah, he started self-medicating. That was the term she used. And so, you know, he, I, I don't know the extent to, you know, how much those drugs affected him, but I believe that played a role. Uh, that was that was part of the issue. The other thing I would say, um, I, you can raise your children with all the best, all the greatest values, and you can spend time with them and do things with them, but if you put them in a school where they're away from you and they, they are they're subject to um, the influences of other kids before they before they've had before you've had time to um, instill in them those values. You know what I mean? Um, in other words, um, it takes time, and uh, so early on, you know, they're introduced to other kids who are coming from some really rough backgrounds at school, and uh, they're with them more hours of the day than they're with you. <laughs> so um, I think, personally, um, I, I don't have any personal experience with homeschooling because I did not homeschool my kids, but my inclination would be to say, and I look. I have um, I have relatives who are teachers and administrators. Some of them retired now, but I would tell them the same thing, and I think they would probably agree with me. And it's it's not there are good teachers out there. A lot of good teachers, a lot of good administrators. But part of the issue is with um, you know just the the other some of the other kids that your child is going to associate with, and some children have. Are strong-willed and won't and won't, you know, be influenced that way. But a lot of children will be influenced by their peers. Um, I think most will be to some extent. Mm -hmm. So that would be that would be my suggestion. Now, uh, you know, a lot of people would argue that well, you know, they need to learn to to socialize with other kids. Well, there are ways to do that without them having to be um, in school or in a public school. So that's just one thought I would I would throw out there for parents. Um, as far as uh, you know, later on, I, I think the problem is that it, you know an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, and so, if you can, you know, you you can once once they start down that bad path, it is extremely difficult to turn them around. So the, the lion's share of the effort needs to be in preventing it from ever going there. <clears throat> yeah, and, uh, you're, absolutely, and I, you're absolutely right, and it's not a matter of 
what drug it is because I and I speak publicly about it. I was an anabolic steroid user from ran to the wrong crowd. I was at the gym, saw a bunch of bodybuilders. Was probably 14 years old and got my hands on it. And, and it wasn't like you know oxycotton or the mollies or things that we talk about today that are biologically addicting. It's addicting. It's a lifestyle. It's it's your crowd. Mm -hmm. And it was the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. I fought with it for a long time while I was playing football and. It was tough. It was one of the toughest things I had to deal with. So when you look at the, the, the drugs now, they're, they're addicting. I mean, you get sick when you get off. I didn't get sick getting off steroids. I just had an issue of getting small. So, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it, it's real tough, and parents listening and, and coaches deal with it. You know, your kid goes off, and you think, not my kid, not my kid. And, and I hear that when I counsel parents. They always say, not my kid. And I'm thinking, you just don't know. And, and once you go down that yeah. path, you're right. It is very, very hard to bring somebody back. It's tough. I think that that's a good point that you made there because um, uh, a lot of parents are in denial that oh, there's no way that would ever happen to my kid. Hmm. And, uh, you know, you can see, yeah, there, there we had a few issues with the ADD stuff, but, I mean, all of Chase's friends would tell you that they never would have suspected that he would go down that path. Yeah. Um, you know, he was he was a good kid. So, it, so it, um, it, you lead to, he, he's back home, right? He went to college for a year, came back? Yep, and, uh, and you know, I had locked him out because of his drug use, and, and then we had the intervention here because he lost so much weight, was looking so bad, was running with a sketchy crowd, and uh, so we had the intervention, and um, he went to uh, treatment in Florida. He was in... Uh, treatment for 30 days, and then he was in a halfway house for another 60 days, so about a total of 90 days. Um, and one one word of caution I would put out there to any parents who have a child who is struggling with addiction: you know, if you're if you're going to do an intervention and, and if you're going to try to get them in treatment, be very aware that there are people out there who will take advantage of you. You're, you're vulnerable because you're scared, because your kid is in this situation. They'll take advantage of you to try to just rip you off. And uh, so you know, try not to be, and I, I think I would caution people to be, to look out for intervention companies. They can do an awesome job mm -hmm. of getting them into treatment, but don't let them steer you towards uh, treatment facility based on the fact that now they won't tell you this but don't let them steer you towards a treatment facility based on the fact that they're getting a kickback from it mm -hmm. you know make sure that is the treatment option that's best for your child um, I, I, I had I, I had gotten some information I still just I had not had enough time to do my research and I had gotten some information about an um, organization called Teen Challenge. And um, they, this intervention company steered me away from Teen Challenge. And uh, it, it was a, a less, much less expensive option. And it's, uh, the program is either 12 or I think maybe 15 months long. So that's what a person who has a substance abuse problem needs. You cannot fix it in 30 days. You can't fix it in 60 or 90 days. It's going to take a year or more to, uh, to get them through that. 
That's and over. So, that's over a hundred grand. I mean, this, the, the the inpatient treatment is very, very, very expensive. That's right. And and you know so, they plan your motion. You're absolutely right. It's a business, and that, and it's sick to right. say that. But so is college. College is a business. Right? I talk about all the time on different segments that, you know, the money is money money is king on a lot of situations, and it's unfortunate that they know you're in a crisis mode. You're trying to get them in quick as possible, and it could be a life or death situation. And people take advantage of it, and it's absolutely sad. And then you got an insurance company that you're dealing with that doesn't want to participate until there's proof that he truly needs it. It seems. That's right, and um, and the um, treatment places and the intervention companies, um, they know how to deal with the insurance companies to get the to get them to pay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, but so Chase, you know, he he was down there for about ninety days. He um, he kept begging to come home, and he had reached a point where you know he had been, we felt like he had made some progress, but he his progress had stopped, and so uh, we decided to bring him home. He came home. Uh, there was a car that had belonged to my dad that uh, uh, my mother had left a handwritten note. This car is to go to Chase, and my, but my brother had given he had power of attorney when my father passed away, and so he had. Um, sign the title over to me. So I, I really technically own the car. Um, and I had withheld it from Chase because I, I did not want him to hurt himself with the car. And um, when he came home, you know, he wanted the car, was begging for the car, and I said, look, you can have the car, but you got to get a job, and you got to go to IOP, intensive outpatient care, at least two nights a week. And uh, you got to keep your job and show me that you're serious. And so um, he did get a job, and he did go to IOP, and it seemed like he enjoyed going. I never had to remind him. He went every every night, and uh, that he was scheduled, you know, two nights a week, and um, and he he liked his job, and he was working hard, and you know, um, and he wasn't making a lot of money. It was you know, he was getting in thirty hours a week. It was, he was working at a pet shop, you know. And so he wasn't making a lot of money, but he liked working with the animals. The customers liked him. His, his coworkers liked him. And so uh, things seemed to be moving along pretty good. Uh, but then he was about to run out of money. You know, the, the insurance money was about to run out. And I told him, I said, don't worry about it. I will keep you. If, as long as you need to go to treatment, I will figure out a way to keep you in treatment. And... Um, in fact, he got kind of upset about it. Like, why are they going to stop paying? And I said, "Well, Chase, it's not just a you know limitless supply of money. They can't just keep paying out forever, you know." Mm -hmm. But uh, he, he was really upset about it. He wanted to continue to go, and and he and I had done some treatment sessions together to work on our relationship and to help us communicate better. And it was it was there was a lot of good things that came out of that. Uh, so um, anyhow. It, it, I began to notice that his attitude was beginning to change a little bit, and there were little subtleties that parents pick up on that kids don't usually realize their parents are picking up on, you know, but you know your child. And I began to see these little subtle changes in Chase, and I, and I was beginning to get worried, but I was really powerless to do anything about it. I was worried that he was he was slipping into this. Uh, he was um, maybe relapsing. And... Uh, Sure enough, that's what was going on. And he came to me one day and he said, Dad, he said, I'm, I'm, I've decided I'm going to move to Florida. 
I'm going to move back to Florida to the area where I was in rehab. He said, I'm hanging with a bad crowd here. They're a bad influence on me. And, uh, and this is one of the things I tell kids all the time that, um, you know, the people you associate with will shape you and you will become like them. And so choose carefully who you associate with. But he told me, he said, I don't know how to cut ties. Chase, there's some issues going on inside of you, and until you deal with those and get those worked out, you're, the, those type of people are going to gravitate to you, or you're going to gravitate towards them wherever you go. Right. And um, but you know, he had already made up his mind, so he moved, uh, or he was getting ready to move down there. And the day that he was supposed to leave, he had told my wife. He had told my wife. He said, "I will come by." She made him promise that he would come by and have a meal with us before he left. So the day that he was, he had told us he was leaving had come up, and we had not seen him. We hadn't heard from him. We tried to call him. We tried to text him. Nothing. And um, so, uh, you know, he had broken up with the girl. And it was, like I said, it was a really volatile breakup, but totally moving. And... Um, he was going to move in with an older gentleman who, uh, when I say older, I thought would say in his 30s probably, who he had met in rehab that had his own place down down in Florida. And um, so I tried to talk him out of it, but his mind was already made up. He was going down. And um, uh, the day came that he was supposed to leave. Well, he promised my wife that he would come by and have a meal with us before he left. Well, he didn't show up. We were calling him. We were texting him. There was no chase. And my, my wife was beginning to get upset because she uh, was thinking that Chase had already left to go to Florida and didn't come by to see us first. Mm. And um, uh, I went outside because I had a phone call from a friend of mine on my cell phone. And my wife and my her younger son were watching television in the living room. And I went outside to take this, phone, this cell phone call. And while I was outside on the phone call, a uh, police cruiser pulled up um, in front of our house. It was a Raleigh police cruiser. When we live in Cary, it's a little suburb outside of Raleigh. So I was like, why is it a Raleigh police cruiser? Because mm -hmm. ordinarily, you know, it would be a town of Cary. Um, but, but this Raleigh officer gets out of his car and begins to walk around the front end of his car and starts up my driveway. He's got a clipboard in his hand. And I told my friend, I said, i got to go. Uh, Chase is in some kind of trouble. And, so I go to meet this officer. I met him about halfway down our driveway, and um, he uh, he started telling me, you know, that Chase had had uh, that there had been a really bad wreck out on I forty, and that Chase had died at the scene. And um, that was uh, that was tough. Um, you know, just kind of it just kind of. Um, I don't know how to explain how I felt in that moment. Just uh, it takes a little while, you know, for that to sink in, and you just don't want to believe it, you know. And um, I can I can remember looking at him, and I, I said, "He's dead like that," you know, just just totally just uh, couldn't believe it. And um, you know, I, at first I thought he was in some kind of trouble, or and then when he started telling me about the wreck, I thought, "Oh, he's in the hospital," but. And then he got to the point where he's telling me he's dead, you know. And um, <clears throat> uh, I, I, the officer came in with me for support. I came in to tell my wife and my son. Um, 
and uh, once everything had settled down, it took a little while, but once we kind of got through the initial shock and everything, we started talking to this officer to find out what happened. And um, we think, you know, th there were a lot of rumors that, that there was a, a party, a going away party for Chase. I can't confirm that, but um, the rumor was that he went, he, he stayed up all night, you know, he almost OD'd, they, could, they had a hard time waking him up the next morning with all kind of drugs and alcohol at this party. And then uh, he was feeling nauseous, he and one of his friends, and they, they went to this um, park near our home and decided they would smoke a bowl of marijuana because they thought that would help with the nausea. Now this is the story I was told. Again, I can't, I can't confirm any of this. Uh, and this is not what I got from the police, this, this piece of the puzzle. But um, uh, at some point they met up with this uh, young lady that Chase had, um, had lived with for a little while. I kind of left that piece of the story out, but um, uh, at one point Chase, had, um, you know, after he came back home from college, he had, um, or actually after he had come back from from rehab, he had moved in with this uh, with this young lady, and um, in into her apartment, and. Um, Anyhow, we were surprised to find out that she had been driving the car because they had had this really volatile relationship and a really bad breakup. And uh, but for whatever reason, he had allowed her to drive the car. You know, he he was not one to. Everybody loved Chase, and he just he didn't. When he did have an enemy, he he didn't stay enemies with them for long. You know, he always found a way to 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 bring people back around most of the time and uh, and to be their friends again and so I'm, I'm guessing he re he repaired that relationship it wasn't a um, romantic relationship like it had been at one time but they were still friends and so uh, apparently she had at some point she joined him and his other buddy and um, I don't know if I kind of think in my mind that, that that maybe she was the least impaired of the three. Maybe she wasn't impaired at all. I don't know for a fact that she was impaired, but what, what happened was the police told us that, you know, they began an investigation after the wreck. Now let me describe the wreck. They, they left our house and um, got out on the interstate on I-40 here, which we only live about three miles from I-40. They got out on I-40 and it was rush hour traffic. It was about 4.45 in the afternoon, rush hour traffic. And this young lady, by the way, she was 18 years old. Chase was 20 at the time. She had never had a driver's license, ever. Mm. And um, so she's behind the wheel of this car. Chase is a passenger in the front right seat. And uh, there's a, uh, also a passenger in the back. And so they're traveling about 70 miles per hour, which is a little above that, which was pretty much the flow of traffic in that in that part of um, that's about the speed the traffic moves in, in in that section that time of day, and um, so they're driving along, and um, she began began to come over, according to eyewitnesses, on a on a car that was in her blind spot. The driver of that car blew the horn, and apparently that startled her because she lost control of the car right after that. We think that she 
jerked the steering wheel. We don't know. We think that it startled her and she jerked the steering wheel. And she, the car began to spin out, slid off the road, and hit a tree. They were going about 60 miles per hour, and they hit the tree. So the car flipped up on its side and kind of wrapped around the tree. The roof was crushed, and Chase was, uh, was killed instantly. And so the young lady survived the wreck and the young man that was in the back, but it took firefighters almost an hour to remove the three of them from the car. Uh, the car was just a mangled mess, and uh, it's amazing to me that the other two even survived. Um, but they recovered from their injuries to the extent that they were able to go home later. And um, I, in fact, I, I visited the young man in the hospital, but, but seven months after the wreck, and only a few days prior to what would have been her first court appearance, this young lady that had been driving Chase's car, uh, oh, I forgot to mention, <laughs> I left this part out. She, um, the, the police had found a, uh, they found marijuana in her purse. Mm -hmm. And they found they found a THC metabolite in her bloodstream. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I can't say definitively that she was impaired because, uh, because uh, T, uh, THC metabolizes very quickly in the bloodstream. Yeah, and they don't have they a could standard not, anyway. Uh, legally, they don't really have a, too much of well, a standard. Well, that's true. That's right. That's right. And, uh, but they, they um, you know, by the time they drew her blood in the hospital, yeah, it was over. You know, they had to transport her right away. It, was, it had been two hours. Now, um, there's a, there's a, DRE, drug recognition expert, who's a, a law enforcement officer who's trained to recognize the symptoms, and their testimony carries a lot of weight in court, but he could not assess her at the scene because of her medical condition. They had to get her out of there right away, get her to the hospital. So without that testimony and, and with just a blood test that shows, hey, she's got she had a THC metabolite. Well, she could have smoked 30 days ago and had that THC metabolite in her bloodstream. So there's really no way to prove impairment in a court of law. And um, so, um, you know, she was going to uh, walk out of this with a slap on the wrist, basically. And um, But seven months after the wreck, three, about three weeks prior to what would have been her first court appearance, two, three weeks, something like that, she poured gasoline all over the floor of her apartment and ignited it. And um, a, um, an eyewitness who I believe lived in that apartment complex said that he heard a loud explosion and then he saw her run from the door of her apartment engulfed in flames. Uh. And uh, she, the fire department came, I think there was like 11 apartment units that, that burned up to the point that the families were displaced and nobody else was injured by the fire but um, she had left a suicide note and uh, she died the next day in the hospital and we've become friends with her mother uh, we you know we really like her mother a lot and you know she had already been reaching out to us after the wreck it's really nice lady um, but um, so that's that's basically, you know, the story. And so I, I wrote the book um, about everything, and then um, I've been going out and speaking. And and the crux of my of my talks 
is make wise choices. Um, I, Chase loved superheroes. That was a big thing of his. He was a big Spider-Man fan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he liked all the all the superheroes. And if you watched him play football, he kind of looked like Spider-Man because he was kind of had the wiry build and he kind of jumped around. He was really agile, you know, and jumped all over the place. And uh, so. Um, I use a superhero, superpower theme when I'm talking, um, and and there's four superpowers I tell the kids that I say kids, teenagers mostly that I'm talking to. I, I tell them they have four superpowers in common. They all have four superpowers in common. They're the power of choice, power of association, the power of love, and the power to intervene. And um, when I say the power of love, you know, you have enough love for yourself have enough love for, for other people that you use the power to intervene and that's when you see someone about to drive impaired um, or um, you know if they're driving distracted or driving drunk or anything like that if you can safely do so do something about it intervene in that situation and then maybe save a life and so that that's kind of my message um, in a nutshell now, did, you, um, but, did, did you get a chance to talk to the young lady and, and obviously you go through in any loss and I've been through you know loss we all have you go through those phases of anger or denial all those things and then you deal with it and, and this isn't long ago I mean you obviously the book came out in November 15 right that's correct okay so you, this isn't long ago I mean this is still something you wake up every day and think about and it's going to be that way for oh, a yeah. while and so did you get a chance to communicate with the young lady that was responsible for the accident either either obviously an accident or or a result of a, of a drug impairment did you ever get a chance to speak to her before Unfor unfortunately I did not um, you know I had talked to her a couple of other times uh, when she and Chase were yeah. um, living together, you know, and uh, back, back, um, and and we had had, you know, we'd had some not so good conversations, yeah. but we had also we had also had some some very good conversations um, where she and I were getting along fine, but but after the wreck, um, I did not uh, have a chance to to talk to her. Um, I, I say I didn't have a chance. I did not make the opportunity, and, and there's several reasons why. Um, at first, I was not angry with her. Hmm. You were talking about the anger. I did get angry later, but right in the very beginning, I was not angry with her. Um, I just wanted to try to figure out a way to make something positive out of this thing and figure out some kind of way to... Um, you know, not allow Chase's death to have been in vain. Mm -hmm. To use it, you know, the the circumstances for something good. And um, but there was a season of anger that I went through later. But as far as the the young lady goes, um, one of the things that sort of held me back was there was still an investigation underway. Yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to say the wrong thing and let her off the hook. I wasn't sure, you know. I wasn't sure she was ready to talk to me either, um, and, I, and I'm pretty sure she was probably getting legal advice not to say a whole lot to me. Um, I could be wrong on that, but uh, I would be surprised if she wasn't. So that sort of held me back, and, and I've regretted that a lot of times because um, 
you know, I wanted to forgive her and I wanted to move on and, and try to repair that relationship and hopefully, I mean, the, the ideal situation to me would have been for her to go with me to talk to kids about um, about the issues with, with substance abuse and, and making wise choices and all of that. Um, I, that may not have ever happened, you know, anyhow, but... Um, but no, uh, that, that is one of the regrets that I have is that I've never talked to her after the wreck. Well, it's a, it's a snowball effect, and, and let's assume it's relative to drug impairment or an accident, whatever, and it's not a consolation at all, but obviously she had so much anguish that she took herself in, in a horrific fashion. I mean, she punished herself. And, and yeah, that's, you know, that's it's, true. It, there's a lot of lives affected on that, and, you know, her mother, her family. Um, I wanted to ask you earlier, tough love, when you lock your kid out, what, what kind of strain has this had on your marriage and your relationship? And I'm sure there's some. Um, actually, you know, um, I have an exceptionally good wife. Mm. <laughs> I've been blessed So, so she regard. obviously understood what you were doing and was on board because, I mean, some yeah, families absolutely. do it. You would have no. You, I mean, my own family dealt with this. My uncle locked his son out, it, it, time after time after time, and and it finally got to the point where it's like, look, I can't enable you. I can't have you here. You're selling drugs. It was a mess, and there's legal ramifications mm -hmm. to housing someone that's selling drugs for the owner of that home, and ultimately, yeah. you know, he committed suicide because he was so lost, and mm. it was the drugs controlled him. So it's a tragedy, and you you lock him out, and you try to give him that tough love or or help them hit rock bottom and not the drug hit rock bottom and get them help um so your your wife and, and mom's uh, the mother of the child obviously your son's on board the whole way uh yeah you know um moms tend to be protective of their mm -hmm. of their children mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes that's a struggle between mom and dad and i yeah. think when when they were younger that she and i struggled with that some like I, you know they need to be punished for this or whatever and he would kind of take up for him sometimes, but um, but in this situation, you know, she she got to the point where she was fed up mm -hmm. with with the drugs and the behavior that it was bringing out, and she was more hardcore than I was about <laughs> about you know not enabling him. So um, it, it was almost like the roles were almost reversed in a sense, not not completely, but. I was getting softer, and she was getting harder yeah. on, on, you know, uh, coming down on. But, um, uh, you know, um, my thing now is that, um, you know, the opioid addiction is, is really big. Mm -hmm. um, and I've got a couple of things to say that I think might be interesting, uh, especially for your listeners. Um, You know, there, there are a lot of other issues out there other than the opioids when it comes to drugs, but the, that's what's got the spotlight right now. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I believe that we need um, some, some really good, comprehensive, ongoing drug prevention programs or substance abuse prevention programs in our schools. And uh, I've heard some administrators, believe it or not, argue that this starts at home, and the education either starts at home. Well, I agree with that, but there are a lot of kids who aren't getting it at home. There are a lot of single-parent 
homes and the mom's working two jobs trying to make ends meet and the kid and become is, an influencer I, I mean that's the one kid that that is the cancer comes to school and introduces a drug and I mean it's the influencer you can't that's have, right you can't have 25 kids and then you know the 26 one is is not getting the education or the help I mean it could spoil the whole batch here's something I don't know how to implement it but I, I, I would like to see mandatory drug testing for all student athletes at the high school level. Um, the reason being this, and I, I know these drug tests are expensive, but maybe there are some, maybe there could be some corporate sponsors or something for this. Maybe the NFL, I don't know, but um, the reason I'm bringing this up is that I know of a situation where a, a father uh, found out that his son was using drugs, was an athlete, and uh, by the time he got done with his investigation, there was, you know, a lot of other things came out, but uh, the bottom line is that he offered uh, some of the players, he said, "You can come to my home." You know, they, they come to his. They were they were coming to his home anyhow every weekend and hanging out. And he said, "What if I gave?" He said, "Why are you guys doing this?" And they said, "Well, it's peer pressure." Mm -hmm. They said, "Everybody's doing it." And he said, "Well, what if what if I gave you? What if I administered you a drug test oh. once a week?" It's a lawsuit. When you come to my when you come to my house, and and they said, you know what they said? They said. That would be great because then we would have an out. Because then we, because then we could tell our friends, "No, I have to take a drug test every week. Mm. I don't want to be kicked off of the team." So he offered them an out, and he started doing this, and it was working. Mm. Um, I don't want to say too much more about that story because I don't want to give too much away on that. But um, uh, I could see how that could be beneficial because I know there are kids out there on sports teams at the high school level who are using drugs. Oh, there's no doubt there's about no it. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, and there's some states that do do it. Um, they do test all athletes, even girl volleyball players. I mean, they test everybody. And um, I, I can tell you from my own experience in high school that, you know, it went from anabolics to speed to, you, you know, overdosing on, not really overdosing, but taking too many leaves, and I was so drugged up for a game, and, and they knew it. Uh, mm -hmm. My parents knew it. You're, you're 5'11", 260 pounds, low body fat, you're running track. It, it, you're not, it, you're, at 16 years old, you're not supposed to be built like that. It, it's clearly, right. I can go to any team now, being a coach and being in the in the athletic recruitment business, and I can look at a kid and say, he's, he's using drugs. I mean, at that level, you just don't have all the tangibles at that point. It's not like you're a fully developed, grown man. So everybody turned their, their cheek, and it started to become, it started to spill over in my life about I can never be in trouble. I can do what I want. Nobody cares. I'm playing well in sports. So, yeah, and it's still relevant. And, you know, looking back, people said, well, that, that's not really drug, that's not a drug addiction. That's not drug abuse. It's not a big deal. And, you know, obviously the painkillers and, and that is relevant conversation right now. You got people great people that and I think it starts with painkillers I really do it starts with drugs you know somebody's in an mm -hmm. accident there there's doctors mm -hmm. attorneys judges people that are uh, you know law-abiding citizens that get prescribed a drug from an accident they run out of their prescription they're in pain and they go 
to, to the streets and buy the drug and they're addicted and the drug companies don't care they don't care yeah that is a big issue right now um, with the op opioid epidemic for sure so, and you know and then people can't get their opioids and uh, so they, they turn to uh, heroin or and yep. then and then there's the fentanyl um, but, uh, yeah, um, you know, um, so Chase's little brother, he's, you know, he was seven years younger. He's now a junior, um, uh, a rising senior in high school and, and he's playing football too and he's doing well and, um, you know, expects to play, um, at the next level. Um, but, uh. You know, I, I think he's learned a lot of things from this. I, he, he was a totally different personality anyhow, so I don't think he would have had issues going down this path, but um, he's definitely learned some things from this uh, situation. He's a really good kid. Um, but, yeah, that would say, you know, getting back to the uh, to the prevention that, that's my, my big thing now it's, I want to uh, work on a comprehensive um, drug prevention program for the schools and what I'd like to see is some um, positive peer groups established in the schools I don't know maybe in the form of a club or something like that but um, you know to try to give the kids some I, I think you know if you have a lack of confidence, um, or, you know, yeah, I, I would just say is a lot of times I think there's a lack of confidence that kids are struggling with their identity mm -hmm. when they're teenagers. There's a lot of things going on. You got the hormonal changes, you know, appearances are important and, uh, they're trying to figure life out. And so I think a lot of times they lack confidence and then, and so they're looking for something and, uh, unfortunately, uh, sometimes drugs are what end up filling the void. Or they're dealing with some pain from life, you know, at home, wherever, and drugs are a way. There are a lot of different reasons people do drugs. Sometimes it's just they get started, they just want to be cool, they just want to be like everybody else. And I think that was a big thing with Chase is that he felt the need, he felt the need to he needed the acceptance of his peers, mm -hmm. and um, you know when when you have that, I don't care what other people think much anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm beyond that. Point. Yeah, when we get older, we don't. That's a fact. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. But but at that age, it's really important to them what other people think a lot, and uh, you know when they're going through that, they're they're more vulnerable to. Uh, maybe using drugs, but it, but 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 I think there's yeah there's a confidence factor involved there that, that has a, has a lot to do with it. Well, it doesn't matter um, how hard you try, you're not going to appease everybody. It's impossible, and it's hard to educate someone that's 16, 17, especially with social media and the influence of groups. And um, mm -hmm. you have a lot of kids that kind of drift off to the, what they call the cast-offs, and I, I don't agree with that. I just think they're you know just because they're not a jock or whatever. You know, people fall into a category, and sometimes you fall into the wrong hands. And I've dealt with it with my own child is, you know, 
who you surround yourself with is going to dictate what you become. It's just, you know, show that's me your right. friends and I'll show you your future. I mean, that's a fact. And, and I don't Absolutely. care who you are and how much your parents instill. And obviously, you know, good parenting instills a decision where you confront and you think consciously about this decision and, and the risk-reward. But still, those friends are going to influence and develop your future, especially those teenage years. I mean, it's crucial. They have more influence than parents. That's correct. And... I agree. It, looking back, if you had two minutes, it's a tough question. You know, two minutes to talk to that young lady. What would what? And I'm sure you thought about it. You lay down at night and was like, what? What? What would you say to her? What did you want to say that you couldn't because of investigation or whatever the issue was? Wow. Um, I, you know, nobody's asked me that question before. <laughs> uh, that is a tough one. Um, you know. Uh, like I said, I went through a season of anger where I, I would have just, you know, uh, really, I would have just really come out strong, you know, yeah. and just really not done, been nice to her at all. But, um, you know, aside from that, having had time to, you know, for that to subside and um, having gone through that phase of the grief and everything, um, and even prior to, you know, to that phase, um, I think I would I would say to her, you know, I I know that you love Chase. I know she did. There's no doubt in my mind, and I know that she did not do this intentionally. Yeah, yeah. I know that it was not intentional, and I and I, and I would tell her that, you know, but um, she made choices. That and part of one of the choices was the people that she surrounded herself with, like we were just talking about. But the other choice was to use um, substance, you know, to abuse uh, drugs and alcohol. And um, and so I would talk to her about, hey, how can we turn? How can we turn this into something positive? How can you? Uh, would you be willing to go out and talk to other young people now? And and explain to them that hey, you lost your friend, and you were you know you're instrumental in the loss of your friend through the choices you made. Mm -hmm. um, would you be willing to do that? Um, because you could make a difference in other people's lives. But I would tell her that I forgive her. That that's one of the big things, and I, that's one of the things that weighs on my mind a lot now. Is that um, you know I never got to tell her that I forgave her for what she did. And um, so I have I have some guilt over that because, um, you know, I, I didn't want her to do that. I didn't want want her life to end that way. I wanted her to to have a chance to turn things around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anger is a nasty, nasty thing, and it just never it, it won't subside unless you just confront it. Obviously, you're confronting it in a positive fashion and, and speaking. Are you? getting involved in the, the political side or I, I know you speak and, and obviously you have the book and it's it's got traffic. People are, are purchasing the book and learning. Are you involved at any level on, on the political platform or is that your aspiration to get into the, you know, could it be congressional, could it be conversation about what we need to do? Have you really started championing that at this point? Uh, I, have, I have been working some uh, behind the scenes, yeah, <laughs> I'll just say tough. that. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm starting at a local level, mm -hmm. and and I and I and I am getting some really good connections and some really good feedback. So, 
Um, I'm hoping that I can get some political help into getting some of my ideas into the schools as far as the prevention side of things goes. Um, and I'm also I'm networking with other parents mm -hmm. um, who have lost children, uh, a lot of them recently to opioid uh, overdoses. Um, and so, you know, I think there's power in numbers. And um, with all the attention that that has brought to the problems with, with substance abuse lately, I think I think we've got you know it's easier to build some momentum now. Yeah, and we'll obviously communicate this, and and it goes across the country, all the high school coaches, and there's still, you know, superintendents. We communicate with uh, with all these folks across the country, so I know that the message will be shared. It's just it's a different world we live in, and people love the negative. They love the celebrity. They yeah. love, and, and really, people aren't engaged in self-help like they should, and it, it's it's very frustrating um, to see that because, you know, there's a great message and there's a great story, but then everybody wants help when it happens and it hits them. When it's it when it's at your home, then you right. worry about it, and that's too late. That's right. It's too late. So that's right. You know, the that's best right. the best message is to, you know, be proactive, not reactive. So your book, uh, Life Half Half Lived. Um, Amazon, right? Any other outlets you can get it at, or is that the best one? That's the best one. Um, I know, pretty sure you can get it through Barnes and Noble also. Okay. okay. Um, but yeah, you can download it. You can download the e-version, uh, the Kindle version for free, um, and the uh, paperback is nine ninety-five. You know, you said something about coaches that just. I've had the opportunity to speak to um, uh, people in churches, in mm -hmm. public schools, and also at some um, sporting events. Uh, not not uh, high school sporting events, but just community sporting events. But I would really like the opportunity if there's anybody listening out there. I, I mean, obviously we can Sorry, connect. I, I, What's what's your? Um, I get a little emotional. No, it's no, it's perfect. That's what that's why I invited you to talk because it's like you know it's there's so much noise and rhetoric out there and it hit me and I stopped and then I read it and then we started communicating. I'm like, wow, this is just something people don't do today. Um, I'm, so, I'm working on a I'm work. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm working on a video right now about I'm I'm interviewing Chase's friends because I want them to tell the story so that kids that are closer to the age of the, of the kids that I'm talking to, you know, I want them to hear it from them because I think it'll have a bigger impact than some old man like me <laughs> getting up in front of them talking. Right? I mean, I can connect with them pretty well, and I can tell a good story, but but it's, there's nothing better than them hearing it from people their own age. Yeah. And so that's that's one of the things I'm working on. But man, I, there are some great football stories, and they're coming out in this video. There are some great football stories that I, I get choked up emotional about. Just thinking about them, like one time, you know, Chase he we he caught this pass. We were, it was fourth down. We were inside our own five yard line, and and uh, we were behind. There was a minute left in the game, and we were trailing by a touchdown. And Chase had been played on defense all day, and he played great. And he he comes into the huddle, you know from the sideline, and I'm like, oh, they're going to throw it to Chase. And they threw a 60-yard bomb. He caught it over his shoulder. <laughs> and 
and we scored two plays later, and we went into overtime, and we won that game in triple overtime. Ouch. And, oh. and it was a homecoming game for the other team. But, but you know, he made those kind of plays, but then I got a call from the coach the next day. He had broken his foot in a pileup in the first quarter and didn't tell anybody. And I'm not suggesting anybody should play hurt like that. <laughs> but... But it, it was just his nature that he was a competitor and he was going to do everything in his power to win, and he was a team player. And those are the kind of football stories that are in this video. That There's some of them in the book. And I, I, it's been a goal of mine for a long time. I've spoken to a lot of groups. But I would, I would cherish the opportunity to, to talk to a group of uh, football players, you know, what it's is a high school level? What what is the best way for? And I'm going to put it in our feed, and this this segment's going to be remarketed and repurposed ongoing throughout the day, every day. We just do that with our segments. But what's the best way for maybe a high school administrator or a coach to reach out to you, or even if it's a parent? I mean, obviously the goal is to get your message out on a larger level, and and you know my listeners and anybody listening to this, you know, support and purchase the book. Um, you know, we spend hundreds of dollars on mobile phones and, and all the latest, greatest technology. You know, put put investment into this. I'm going to do it myself. And what's the best way for those administrators or, or parents, or, I'm sorry, or coaches to, maybe it's by email or is it Twitter. How, how can people reach out to you to discuss maybe speaking at their school if they're interested? Um, I'll throw out my email address, and uh, I'm not even opposed to, uh, to putting out my cell number. You know, I'll, I'll do that. Um, um, and so uh, the, the email address is D Rogers D R O D G. It's Rogers with a D in it. D R O D G E R S sixty one at hotmail dot com. Um, my cell number is nine one nine five three eight seven two one six. And um, I live on the East Coast, so if you're thinking about I live in North Carolina. It's just let people know in terms of uh, 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 time zones here, but um, uh, what's yeah, your Twitter I mean, too? Uh, is it your Twitter? Oh yeah, um, it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember my Twitter handle now. I have it. I can tell yeah. you in a second. It, it is. I, I think I can tell you. JD Rogers sixty one. Sixty one. Yep. Yep. So people will reach out to you yep. there, obviously, and it's um, great mission, great statement. I. I appreciate your time greatly I mean obviously you're still passionate about it. you're still dealing with it and hopefully we can help facilitate maybe some connections even if you get one one big school and they, they bring you out to speak um, it would be great and, and I do appreciate your time greatly thank you I appreciate your time too this has been uh, been awesome we'll get it out we'll spread the message and then I'll follow up with you in a short period and just check in and see how you're doing and Anything we can do on our end in the future, just reach out to me. Obviously, I'll shoot you over my cell number, too, over on uh, Twitter. I don't like handing out my cell number because every parent will call me, call, it'll call me all <laughs> night about, how do I get my kid into college? It's like, well, I don't know anything about your kid, and we got to talk a little bit more. But I do appreciate you you know, sharing a, a tough story, and 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 I, I hope the best for you. Um, I'll, I'll, as soon as we hang up here, well, I'll shoot over my stuff, and then uh, – Hopefully we can get some connections, and I'll, I'll share some databases. Or if you want to market to those schools, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and do it. I, I appreciate it. You know, bottom of my heart, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it too, AJ. All right, we'll talk soon. All right, man.
Thank you. Have a good afternoon. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network. Heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide.